So, three, two, one. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Bibliophile Adventures. I have remembered successfully that this time we're not in a labyrinth. We're actually in a sort of steampunk uh, carousel type environment here. Um, there are ponies, there's like big pistons clanking. You can probably hear them in the background. So I'm here with Professor Elemental. Um, you may remember him from the last episode I did where we reviewed his um, elegant and exciting album that's just come out, uh, Professor Elemental and his amazing friends, part two. So yes, Professor, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Well, hello, welcome to my beautiful steampunk carousel. Um, as you can see, we're drifting by at about 75 miles an hour. Uh, you just hold on tightly to the reins of your lovely horse. Everything should be fine. Um, for those listeners wondering what is happening now, uh, I am Professor Elemental, and I am a British steam-powered hip-hop MC. Um, yes. So I largely spend my time dressed as a kind of crazy, colonial-looking mad professor and do lots of hip-hop songs, but about topics that don't normally get covered by hip-hop like owning a pretty horse or having special trousers or being trapped in a world of pixies. That sort of stuff. That's where I tend to go with it. And I've taken it about as far as I can, because I'm a real nerd as well. I tend to, tend to take this Professor character into comics and books and God knows what else. Am I allowed to say your real name? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. That's, that's the, just the character. You can, you can reveal my secret identity. <laughs> Um, it's almost like a comic book character. It's, well, it's very much, you know, and in my little fantasy head, even when I'm doing gigs, I sometimes have a brief fantasy that no one really realises that I'm there to do the gig, and then I nip in to the changing room and I come out in character and then everyone knows who I am. And that's as close as a middle-aged sort of nerd is going to get to actually being a superhero, and it's, it's very satisfying, even if it's only happening in my own head. For those listeners who missed the, the previous episode, um, this is all this is all true. Um, we are rebels a little bit on this podcast. We decided to do a music review. Um, why you might ask? It's because it's Professor Elemental, basically. Um, I had heard about this character for a long, long time. Um, the professor that is not Paul. He's called Paul. He's a real person. Um, I'd heard about Professor Elemental for such a long time. I thought, this is cool, but I have no idea what's going on there. Um, and so I spotted the call to review the album, jumped to the chance. Um, if you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. It's lovely. Um, and I feel like I'm kind of revisiting a bit of my Britishness uh, by doing this. Um, so, Paul, yeah, it's just lovely to have you on. Um, that is pretty much the only reason that there's kind of an excuse for having you on, which is that you tell stories and you kind of created this amazing character, right? Yeah, I'm all about stories, actually. And they were, when I was coming up listening to hip hop, that was 
that was the sort of predominant uh, form of songs, even really silly ones that were that were really popular in like, sort of 1991. Hip hop was lots about stories. Most of the tracks were had a particular concept and a tale to tell. And I love yeah. that, you know, already liking comics and books and so on. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot to be... You've got the luxury of words when you're doing rapping as well. That you haven't got in... Obviously, all songs can be story songs. But with hip-hop, you can, you can give things an awful lot of detail and light and shade and different characters in a way that you can't with any other music. So it's lovely, lovely for telling stories. You're right. I, I'm just like... You just... You enlighten me because hip-hop that tells a story... That, is that a thing anymore? I don't listen to a lot of mainstream hip-hop. Do people still do that, like, she came up to me in the disco? <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of my favourite hip-hop songs, She Came Up To Me In The Disco as well. It's been, yeah, I've been playing that non-stop. It's um, awesome. Yeah, cool. <laughs> no, obviously, it's like, it's like everything. It's like, you know, like anything you like. In a, in this, there's a massive genre. There's a layer of shit at the top. Like, lots of it's just rubbish, really glossy, sparkly stuff. And everyone goes, oh, that's what rap is. It's all very commercial and very um, uh, sort of about sort of acquiring things and being disrespectful to people. And then underneath the sort of tip of the iceberg, there's just every conceivable kind of person creating music all around the world. And there's loads of amazing storytellers and stories about things that you just can't. Like, I could never have conceived as well. Whether it's like you know someone's relationship with their grandma or a tale of a revolutionary that's been in prison for far too long, or some fantasy story about what it'd be like if you suddenly turned into a pixie. Just that's the stuff I absolutely love. There's a, there's a Rakim st- um, story song years ago, but it's about the birth of the universe, and it's about sort of atoms colliding and creating and, you know, the, everything that we know. And I was like, you can't get that in any other song. You can get the feeling of it, but you can't get an actual description of it. So it's there, but it, like a lot, like comics, you know, it take, you have to dig around, you have to dig deep into a genre or into a form of something to get the most out of it. I think that's what appeals to my nerdy side. Like if you yeah. pick up a random comic and you've never read a comic before, it won't make a lot of sense because you'll have to have read six years of continuity before it. And I think hip hop's much the same. If you pick up some random song, you go, oh God, this is just shit. But then if you dig deep, you go, oh no, there's some, there's some good stuff behind it, hiding underneath it. You're, you're a balladeer. That's nice. I've never heard that word. Did you say I'm a balladeer? <laughs> you're a balladeer. Oh, yeah, a balladeer. Yeah, that's nice, actually. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of ties into that, you know. So if you weren't really deep into it, all of the kind of culture that it comes from is um, that sort of aural tradition, oral tradition of, um, of telling stories passed down generations and all that kind of stuff. And particularly in terms of black history, which obviously is where it all stems from. That's all there's, you know, most of the... But old blues songs and reggae songs, they're all storytelling songs as well. So it all, it all ties in nicely. And you, you, just for the listeners as well, like as well as for me, where, where does this come from? Like, as far as I understood, it's sort of a joke that went out of control. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's exactly what it is. It was because I was, it's a, it was a, it's a disaster. Like, I was, you know. I was a sort of trying to be, trying to fit into the sort of underground hip hop scene in Brighton and England. And um, so as friends, you as you do, that's, you know, that was just, it was just a thing to do. And there was a lot, there was a lot of middle class white boys all doing the same. Um, uh, but I was struggling slightly because it's quite alpha male and it's quite competitive. Okay. Um, and I, I'm not any of those things, it being very nerdy. And then some friends were putting on a Victorian sort of variety show of all these really ridiculous acts. And I just sort of found a hat in a shop and went, oh, just for, just for a laugh, I'll go and do it in character. And 
that's, you know, as is often the way with these things, once I'd accidentally discovered that, the whole world opened up. And now I'm trapped in the character. I've got nothing else in my life but pretending to be this mad professor. And, you know, I'm stuck as him forever. <laughs> you, you've got some comics. Can you, can you tell us about the comics? Can you tell us about the comic books and art and yeah. stuff? Yeah, um, there's a chap called Chris Mole who um, got in touch and wanted to write some comic stories. And he's really entrenched in the small press scene. And to my shame, really, like I've always been quite mainstream Marvel DC type of guy. And he knew all these amazing artists. So he wrote loads of professor stories and we got different people to write them, uh, to draw them. And then, thank God, like just for the... It, it, this is good. If anybody out there does creative stuff, it's the power of asking for, for things will get you quite a long way. Like I asked a few people if they would help me out. And then we got like people like Charlie Adlard and a guy called Brian Kessinger, who's a brilliant Disney artist. And they did covers for it and sort of helped out with stories and things. So they turned into a really nice little collection. We've got quite a few comics now. And we're, we're working with Unbound at the moment. We're doing a book called The, the Art of Professor Elementals, so all of the different artists I've worked with. Um, are going to be in this brilliant book. Basically, I've become an expert at finding talented people to work with, rinsing them for their brilliant talents, and then turning into a product with my face on. I'm a bit like a sort of shit Stan Lee <laughs> for steampunk. You're living the dream, my friend. <laughs> I'm living the dream. I'm living it. Honestly, it is amazing how far, particularly considering the professor is a bit of a one-note joke. But it's amazing how far you can take it if you really go for it. And also, it's a really nice way to, you know, again, to, to, to any artists listening, whether musicians or writers or artist artists, like yeah. when you get set out to do something arty, it can be a bit too much, like knowing where to focus your, your skills. But having the professor, everything I do is sort of focused through the lens of the professor. So if I want to do a comic or write a story or write a, or have a silly song, it all has to go through this little lens. And that makes it a lot easier in some ways to just have one thing to focus on. Um, yeah, I've got some friends who are much more talented than me, but struggle, I think, because they do lots of different things and sometimes none of it gets noticed. But I've only got one thing that I'm consistently <laughs> shouting about and it makes it a lot easier, I think, in some ways. Michael, Michael Moorcock is a, is a favourite of mine. Mm. And he does these books uh, with recurring characters, and they just pop up in the most vari varied situations, like sometimes very bizarrely varied. Wonderful! Oh, that's that's really attractive to me. I love that sort of a sort of loose continuity, or like replaying with different playing with different people. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of that because you you can you can put. Professor Elemental anywhere, right? It's a well, exactly. You can stick it in, and you know, I've, like, I've just written a book of like short horror stories, and that was that was quite a challenge because I did a couple of silly ones, and I was like, I wonder if I could write a really scare, a genuinely scary story that would scare me, but using this slightly ridiculous character. Um, and so that's you know, it's quite, it's quite good fun playing around with different genres with, with just the one thing. He's a he's a time traveling. So he's not just a professor, but he's actually a time traveling professor. He is, yeah. He's basically, um, he's like a sort of really, in some ways, he's like a bit of a shit Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> but he's very, he's like, he, he, does a lot of in, he does a lot of inventing. But it, it, we did a radio series where I got to flesh him out as a character, and he's incredibly optimistic, enthusiastic, and well-meaning, and desperately sort of seeking some kind of respectability, but also really incompetent and unable to achieve any of his goals. 
but it never puts him off in any way. He will continue to be, you know, to look at the next best project as soon as that one's failed on its ass. And in many ways, that's quite easy because that's exactly what I'm like all the time about everything. He's, is he, would you, is he a, and now I know that Professor Elemental goes to a gentleman's club. That's mm. right. He's a professor, but is he like, is he Lord Elemental? No, no, he's like in, the, in, the, in our little radio series, we just did these little 15 minute comedies and they're all about the professor trying to get into the club and be accepted by the gentry and failing yeah. miserably. Like he, he's always very much on the outside um, of everything that he does, apart from when he's hanging out with sort of fellow nerds. But then that's, you know, that's not much of a stretch because that's all I ever used to be when I was trying to do hip hop or working in a job, sort of that. And um, a lot of us, a lot of us on the outskirts of, of uh, the mainstream feel like that I think when you're you sort of you sort of want to be accepted and want to be part of it but at the same time you kind of rail against wanting to be like everybody else it's a really weird uh is it a paradox I'm not sure it's a it's a weird uh, mix isn't it yeah you've got to do what you've got to do though haven't you yeah exactly and I think as soon as you kind of realize that and getting older helps I think when you're younger like when I was younger doing hip-hop I just wanted to be like accepted with all these quite blokey alpha males and as soon as you get a bit older you go actually fuck that i want to do my own thing and i think with art and writing and stuff like that you know as soon as you start doing something that's really for your own benefit that's when you've got the greatest chance of anyone else liking it a lot of the time now i tweeted you um a while back and asked you what's what's steampunk can can you explain it for me (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's tricky isn't it the old steampunk because it's different to different people it, it i think it's very different in different countries basically if you've never come across it before listeners it's it's people who like victorian stuff and science fiction and like getting drunk that's the general gist of it so it's kind of it's a mix of Victoriana and sci-fi, and it often involves a lot of dressing up. Sometimes it involves people getting their own characters together. It frequently involves a lot of parties, um, and it's really a subculture, I've found, for people who didn't really belong in any other subculture. Um, and I mean that in the most complimentary way. People who just, they've either grown out of being a goth or a hip-hopper, or they just were kind of looking for like-minded people. But you know when you need something to hang it on. Like, if, you, if you're a football fan, you can all get together and like whatever football team. But I think sometimes when you've got a, sort of a set of values, but there's nothing to necessarily, you need something to hook it into. And steampunk's often that, i found. It's just a, it's a nice way for nerds to get together. Um, and if you never, if, even if you haven't got much interest in Victorian stuff uh, to the listener, I recommend checking it out if you want to find fellow nerds to hang out with and have a party with, because the community in the world of steampunk is just beautiful there's no there's no idiots in steampunk there's some socially awkward people but no one's a dickhead they're all really nice and that's that you know how rare and beautiful that is to find that's what i liked about your definition i actually just thought it was funny um i think it's a good excuse to for grown-ups to have a have a fancy dress party i think you said (laughs) (laughs) definitely and i've had people find that a little bit offensive because i particularly in the state in america sometimes people 
take it very seriously. And like all things like this, I, I, I get really frustrated. And in some areas of America, I think it's really done the little subculture harm of, of people going, oh, well, you know, that's very colonial. Or, well, you shouldn't really be thinking of that because think about all the bad things of Victorian times. It's not a historical reenactment society. It's, it is a fancy dress party with a bit of a theme um, and, a, you know, a shared set of sort of slightly ridiculous values. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very wary of anybody who takes steampunk, of all things, seriously. I mean, how can you take it seriously? People with big <laughs> mechanical wings. I'm a middle-aged yeah. man in a pith helmet doing hip-hop songs. There's nothing serious about any of it. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a danger almost with any subculture, isn't it? I would be a bit scared. I mean, is, if people would start reenacting this stuff... <laughs> You can't reenact something that never happened in the first place. I mean, the, whole thing, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a hole in this plan. <laughs> exactly, but it's the same with comics, isn't it? Like, how terrifying is it when you see um, like a comics writer tweeting that they've had to have a bodyguard because they've had death threats because someone didn't like their story about how Batman didn't get married or something like that? People take shit way too seriously, and it's it's terrifying. Batman didn't get married, dude. Oh man, that was, that was the, the best run of Batman that, as far as I'm concerned, there's ever been, is the current run of Batman comics. Um, the writer called Tom King, and he wrote a brilliant lead-up, really lengthy and controversial lead-up of him, a Batman and Catwoman about to get married, and um, and then it didn't happen, uh, which was just the perfect story. But people were so cross about it in this day and age, everyone gets enraged, and then started sending him death threats. About an imaginary man dressed as a bat not getting married to a woman dressed as a cat. You can see their point. I mean, you know, come on. (laughs) Well, absolutely. I mean, that's the important stuff, isn't it? That's what people need to be focusing on. That's that's the real stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind Brexit and Trump. We need to get we need to get those writers who write stories we don't quite like enough. I mean, the you could argue the robot stuff is a bit true, isn't it? Like, um, there's these scary videos of robots and stuff. What, what in terms of steampunk? I mean, they're not they're not as cool as they could be. They don't have like big valves and stuff. Yeah, they're rubbish robots. They're tedious robots, aren't they? They don't do anything fun. They're not. They're not really like steampunk robots. The kind of robots that would sort of make your tea and then play a carousel song and then explode like you know. So those robots haven't, apart from the ones the professors tried to make, I haven't seen much of those come come true. Oh, actually, I mean, I have seen them at steampunk conventions, but they're um, you know. That's the that's the beauty of it. I love seeing when people really do take their imagination and actually occasionally you see steampunks who've made the real thing that most people are just sort of joking about. Not time machines and so on, but like I don't know, <laughs> a robotic ice cream maker or something. And I just like I love things like that. It's lovely. Is it are you telling me you've seen robotic ice cream makers out there in the wild? No, I have made that up. But okay. there are <laughs> I have seen cool things. I just can't remember what they what they did or what they were, but I was very impressed by them. I'm often asked to judge like mad science competitions and people have made up some of the most brilliant, brilliant little robots and strange contraptions. It's lovely. No, that's true. That's like that's like a whole like strand of um that's like a whole strand of madness that we kind of we've kind of lost sight of a bit, isn't it? Like um you know, there's um there's an illustrator, W. Heath Robinson, is it? Oh, yeah, he's a huge influence on, on um, my yeah. stuff. I love him. Um, so in America, they have another guy who does basically the same thing. Oh, what's his name? Um, I can't remember. I'm pretty embarrassed right now. <laughs> um, 
but I'm. It's a really interesting point. This guy I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's someone different in America. Isn't that isn't that typical? No. Um, <laughs> so well, there's another guy who does that. But I know what you mean. Making up those kind of invention, you know, unnecessarily uh, laboured inventions to do very simple things. A bit like Wallace and Gromit, those kind of things. Just I love. I've got a lot of love for that sort of over over engineering things for no good reason. Wallace and Gromit, thank you. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the modern. Um, that's the modern equivalent, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I've got a lot of love for that kind of stuff. Um, just the it's all about the aesthetics. I think with steampunk a lot of the time, it's just there. It's just creating a a slightly prettier world for a little while, slightly prettier imaginary imaginary world. And particularly when everybody's getting so grim out there, you know that's why you know that's why so many of us have have dived ever deeper into comics and science fiction and steampunk and stuff because the rest of the world's not looking very nice. So you know, thank God for our fantasy. Sometimes it's, it enables us to cope with some of the trickier things. You've got a couple of, like, a little bit... You haven't got any dark songs on your new album, Paul. I, actually, I'm being unfair. But you, you do have that one about the digital world and its dangers. You've got a little bit of that in there. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's the closest I've got to... Because when I do my live shows, I yeah. do quite a lot of sort of stand-up, and I often talk about, you know, the odd political thing or kind of get on my high horse about something. Um, I've tried to work hard to actually add some jokes in so I'm not just ranting about Brexit or whatever. Um, but I, but I free, for some reason I veer away from it with the songs. I kind of I like to keep his character fairly simple and accessible. But it's quite it was quite nice to do a song which actually had a bit of substance to it, and was just only just really in the professor's remit. Like I can only just get away with that. I sometimes do songs as myself, um, and which allows me to do songs about I don't know horror films or you know relationships or whatever else I might want to talk about that doesn't quite fit the professor. But really, it always comes back to him. <laughs> is there any, like... No, this is... <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Ask it. I'm, I'm, I'm a... You can't offend me in any way, no matter what you ask. Ask or anything. Is there any... Is there any, sim, is there any symbol... Like, uh, what's the word? Symbology? That's the American word, isn't it? I'll take it. That's all right. What's the, sim, what's the symbolism of the pith helmet? Um, it, it's symbolic of the time that I was walking through Brighton a bit stoned and found a second-hand <laughs> shop that had a, had a pith helmet in it. And I thought, oh, I've never owned a pith helmet. I'll buy that. And then I bought it and I never saw the shop again, which was really weird. Um, other than that, there is zero symbolism um, to it. Although it's been a bit of a, it's been tricky because I've been doing The Professor for 12 years and when I first did him... It was all very funny, and it was just the costume that I happened to, you know, have chance upon for this show. But of course, as times have changed and we've become slightly more sensitive, particularly on the left, and that's all, you know, mostly that's I think that's quite a good thing. But it means that the sort of he's um, slightly more charged. The fact that I'm dressed as a as a colonial bloke, particularly colonial white rapper is a bit of a hard sell in, in some circles, which I do quite understand. And there are some people who have taken real offence or found it found the very suggestion of it being slightly racist as well. And that that um, can be can be tricky, or at least an interesting problem to try and get over. Uh, and particularly when I'm on stage, I work very hard to alienate certain members of the crowd so I don't end up with the wrong kind of fans. 
I was I was having a private joke to myself about the shape of the helmet actually, but that's cool. <laughs> I'm so sorry. They've been rambling on about it's political. Oh, you can delete that whole thing then in that case if you want. You're so serious. <laughs> I know. I really went for it there, didn't I? Maybe just yeah. Feel free to ask me that question again, and I'll tell you it's not shaped like a penis. <laughs> I'm going to leave it to my colleagues there to decide how much okay. of that in. That ramble. But I think of it as an explorer's hat, to be honest. It is an explorer's you know hat. I mean, I mean yeah, granted hat. it has some kind of slightly dodgy symbolism behind it, but yeah, it is a nice explorer's hat, thanks very much. It does, it does say here, um, it be- did become common civilian headgear for Westerners in the tropics. Sorry. Go ahead, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, that was l- largely when we were in the tropics busy colonising other people's countries. So I do understand it has, you know, it's a bit delicate. If this, if this interview turns out a bit serious, we can always do another one in like a month or three um, where I'm the <laughs> professor, and that would be a very different interview. <laughs> that, would be an, that would be an awesome interview. We'll definitely do that. We could do both if you like. I mean, I'm open to anything really. Yeah, well, we'll run out of time today. What, let's, we'll, what we'll do is we'll leave it six months or something, and then we'll do one where I'm, I'm you know, absolutely full-on professor, making very little sense. I can do that. Tell me your favourite rubbish comic book uh, hero. Mm, favourite one. What makes me happy is they're mostly coming back into DC Comics. I don't know who's in charge at the moment of DC, but they're doing a great job. Um, I like the Wonder Twins uh, from Super Friends, who are currently in the best comic that comes out each month is by uh, written by mark russell and it's brilliant um and plastic man is my all-time favorite superhero of all time which much like the professor he shares the same thing of kind of wanting respectability and never being able to get it and i you know that's that shouts loudly to me my sensibilities i love it but dc dc have got the lock on all the shittest brilliantest superheroes metamorpho and the metal men and god knows what else um, just awful. They've just, you know, they've just got loads of really bonkers superheroes, and I love them for that. Do you read comics? You, you were saying earlier that you like Valiant comics, and they were, they were largely a bit of a, well, they were a mixed bag, to put it politely. Who's your favourite <laughs> superhero? <laughs> I like all of the wrong superheroes from Valiant, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who else there was. There was Magnus the Robot Hunter, but I can't think of who the other ones were. Who else was in there? I'm really, I'm just so impressed that you know about Magnus. I spent a lot of time in the 90s thinking my comic collection would be worth a fortune. <laughs> Buying, remember the comics were really booming in that sort of era. It was like, well, we'll just buy them all. This, I'll be set for life, we all thought. That's what funds your ex- expeditions, right? It's all <laughs> only. They're all worthless now, aren't they? All our comic collections are just shit. I sell them from time to time. I sell like the odd long box worth. They're just... They're worth a fraction of whatever I bought them at. It's terrible. You've got, uh, you've got Magnus down there. You've got the guy who fights uh, dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. I remember him. Um, Turok, yeah. I'm not Ooh, saying nice. there's any influence here, mate. I'm not saying there's anything, <laughs> like, you know, psychological. But you've got robots. You've got dinosaurs. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Actually, you're right, you know. Maybe, maybe they've influenced me more than I realised. And then uh, you... You got that monkey called Jeffrey, remember him? <laughs> Hang on a minute now. I don't remember the Jeffrey one. Jeffrey? No? Come on, man. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I'm not really into comics at all. Um, I always say I don't read comics, I read Valiant. 
<laughs> yeah, I do get that. You kind of like I've got friends who specialise like this is. The yeah. Thing. Anything else isn't really their their thing, and that, which makes sense as well because you can't, you know, comics is a form of stuff. It's not a genre. It's a bit like people say whether whether or not you like comedy. There's so many types of comedy or music. You know, it's a, it's a form of delivering a story rather than a than an actual genre. So I do, you know, I get, I'd understand why you just want to focus in on one thing. I don't think I would be able to afford to eat if I didn't, to be honest. Oh, I know. Well, that's the hardest thing about being a nerd, generally, isn't it? Whether you like sci-fi or horror or comics, it's like, it just costs so much money. Dude. Horror's good, actually. Horror doesn't cost very much money because there's, all the good old horror books are like 10p on Amazon or, or eBay. They're all, all the best, all the best terrible horror things are pretty much free. No one else wants them. Right. So I started uh, reading up on the old Appendix N stories. Ooh, what are they? It's uh, in, in the old Dungeons and Dragons, the first, first edition, they had mm. a list of books which was meant to be educational and inspirational. Awesome. That's great. So it's like Conan the Barbarian is in there. Um, what else? Um, a lot of like sci-fi stuff is in there. Um, a lot of weird stuff. A lot of bad stuff as well. Good. But I, but I think that's it. I think... I think, you know, it's harder to expose yourself these days to things that you wouldn't normally, because we're all being run by algorithms, it's harder yeah. to stumble upon something that you wouldn't normally read or wouldn't normally look at that's out of your comfort zone and give it a go. It's, it's very easy to focus in on one thing, um, but it's, it's a lot harder to, you know, stumble across some random thing in a bookshop or whatever. So a, a little list like that's great. Did you work your way through the books? Have you read them all? No, come on. I, 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 have, a, I have a day job. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Hard to keep but, uh, up. And I wish this was my day job. I really do. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not like it's, it's not easy to make money out of podcasting. I'd imagine it's not like <laughs> there's only a couple of people doing it at the moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, I do try and slip a bit of Appendix N in here. That was kind of the idea when we got started, but it really hasn't panned out like that, um, as you can see. Well, yeah, you're going to end up just going, you know, you get people rambling on about their favourite thing. Like, it's going to go off in odd directions. Nothing wrong with that. I like an odd direction. <laughs> Did you, have you played those games that have got the professor in them? Have you played those? <laughs> uh, I, I have a couple of times, but to my right. shame, because none of my friends are like gamers at all. Yeah. And yeah. I never played them. Uh, well, there's one game that came out that's really simple, and I kept trying to get it out when I had visitors. Visitors yeah, yeah. were drunk, and we couldn't make it work. And they were like, "Fuck's sake, Paul, this is your game." I'm sorry. Sorry, yeah. I'll work. It. I'll look at the rules again. We'll come back to it later. Um, so I have played them, and they're brilliant because it's, it's um, cheap ass games who make them, and they're proper games makers, which is really nice. I still want to do a board. There's still game things I want to do. I want to do a board game, and I'm going to do a top trumps as well because they're. They're the sort of simple level that I operate on. I can definitely manage those. Top Trumps is a, yeah. I think we've got those in, in the States as well, probably. But, yeah, uh, they get around. Top Trumps is very British, isn't it? But um, collecting things and sort of hundreds of different types of the same, basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, that's, I don't know, we've all done that. If you're a nerd, we've all done that. Well, it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of commonalities between all of our, our favourite subcultures, I think. We, um, I think we do have a lot of commonality. Yeah, I think, and maybe like I think steampunk is a lot about. You don't really have one um, 
period of history, do you, in steampunk stuff? And that's that's kind of baked in, isn't it? It's not even obviously it's the the best idea is to have a time traveling professor because then you know you can go to the prehistoric times. You can um, obviously you can go into the future where everything is clearly going to be powered by steam. Um, but also it can cover like all of these different genres, which are really totally different time periods, exactly. like and stuff. I, that's not really Victorian, is it? It's a bit later. <laughs> I know it's, it's it is weird, isn't it? So is it yeah, it's, and that's where you need to play a bit fast and loose with it. Sometimes I think it's quite nice to do that. And weirdly, in my mind's eye, that all the professors' adventures sort of don't really yeah. even take place in Victorian times. Anyway, they're in kind of a sort of like 1950s Britain. The sort of it's, a, it's the Britain where Wallace and Gromit are, and the Carry On films are. And yeah. That sort of Britain that never really existed, but was very sort of idealised for a long while. I think that's without being all kind of the the horrible side of being too overly patriotic, but just embracing some of the quaint, cute little things and and bunching them all together. Um, but yes, you know, it's no point in being too strict about it. Again, just mess around with it. Time is ours to mess around with. I think. If 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 people haven't been to England, how would you describe Brighton? Um, oh, it's like a, it's like, it's like San Francisco. Oh, I, I used to say it was like sort of San Francisco's like scruffy, rebellious younger brother, but San Francisco's not really like that anymore, is it? Because it's just a big, horrible tech capital. Um, it's a, it's a really scruffy, the epitome of all sea, British seaside towns, and it has a lovely anarchic underbelly to it as well. It's very scruffy and very messy, but there's a lot of art and a lot of music. Um, uh, and it's slowly, unfortunately, being slightly gentrified. Uh, so we've lost a lot of the good bookshops and we've got a lot more coffee shops and sushi around. Um, but it's still lovely and it's still grubby. It's a perfect place for the professor to be. Is it still... I don't know what kind of music comes out of Brighton. I used to hang around in Bristol a lot, which was all very... Um, which was very dark and serious, you know. Yeah, Bristol's great, isn't it? Bristol, Bristol and Brighton have got a lot in common, I think. Although Bristol's a little bit wilder. When I do shows further west, the further west I go, the nuttier people are. And Bristol was always... <laughs> Bristol used to, like, when I do gigs in Bristol sometimes, just the stage gets invaded by, like, ravers and stuff. And I'm suddenly, the whole thing's got out of control. Um, but, yeah, in Brighton, there's a lot of... It's just a big mix. It's a really eclectic mix. There's a lot of good hip-hop here. A lot of indie bands come out of um, Brighton as well. We're good at churning out eccentric little bands some of which occasionally make it big and lots of which just stay around, knocking around in Brighton, um, entertaining each other, which is lovely. A lot of amazing hip-hop in Brighton will never, ever make it out of the town, and I love, I love it for that. Some of the best rappers I've ever met in my life are in, in this town, and they've got no interest in making it commercially successful, and I love that as well. It's brilliant. Seriously, I love that. It's great, isn't it? It's making music, for the, making art for the sake of making art is the best and most valid form of it, as far as I'm concerned. You can do that so easily these days. I mean, not easily. Obviously, you're going to put in, I don't know how many hours. Of course. But there is, there is means to kind of communicate your stuff to, to like-minded people, or just to, there's, you know, there's just the technology, if you're making music, to make like, really high-quality music, even if you're not playing it to anyone else ever. I often talk about that on stage as well. Just the, you know, people worry about kind of get how they're going to make a career out of things or or get their stuff seen. 
actually the important stuff is the making it and taking pleasure in making it regardless of how sort of how um the outside world measures it as a success or not yeah those times of like where's my record contract coming from they're kind of gone haven't they i mean yeah totally well they haven't for some people but they were never really there for me but i've got a friend i've got a friend who's just had um uh some music out on a label uh, and it was quite successful. And then he told me recently that he's still really in debt to the label, um, to the tune of a few thousand pounds. And I find that amazing. It feels like such a con. Why, why wouldn't? Why not just do it yourself? Why bother getting indebted to these companies who are sort of making money out of you? It seems crazy. That's 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 crazy. Exactly. So yeah, I'm I'm all for the uh, democratization of it. I just wish that the democratization of art hadn't now been inevitably taken over by large corporations like Spotify and like Amazon who, you know, e-publishing is wonderful and music streaming is wonderful, but of course there's always a big horrible vampiric company that will come and suck the life out of that lovely <laughs> democratisation so now you end up a slave to this large company whether you want it or not and then that, that, that in itself is, is very sad and frustrating, like it was all there, all that potential was there but it's, you know, it's been a, there's been big companies allowed to run riot and ruin it for us all again yeah, I mean, I think of it as like the trains, you know, someone's got to do it. It's almost like infrastructure that's got to be there. No, and, I don't think it has, I, you know. I think, yeah, no, go yeah. ahead. But someone, it's also you've got to have somebody who's like helping you to find the good stuff, you know. That's true. I do think there is, you know, there is a, there's a place for all of those companies. It's just the, it's the size and the ubiquitous nature of them. There's Suddenly there's only Spotify. Or, you know, before you know where you are, everyone's only going to Amazon and now can't get their, their e-books from anything else, from anywhere else. It's the, it's the fact that these companies are allowed to grow so large until there's no other choice. That's where capitalism goes horribly wrong. You're right in that there does need to be structures and, and, and um, infrastructure, but when there's just one big infrastructure and they've got their own interests at heart, I think that's when it, that's when it all starts sort of falling apart again. But, you know, anarchic artists will always find a way around these things. There'll always be other, other means, and there's always, good, you know, there's always good with the bad as well. I'm not, I'm not knocking it completely because, you know, like I said in that song, there are, you know, without... YouTube and Spotify and things. There's loads of people who would never have heard my music, and I wouldn't have been able to make a career out of it or travel around the world doing it. So you know, it's a bit of both. No, you're right. I mean, I I didn't pick up your stuff from the web necessarily. I picked it up from my local uh, comic book shop in the exactly. All oh, praise to the comic book shops. But if everybody right. starts reading them online, there aren't any more comic book shops, and then you know, there's no one to recommend these things unless they're a big company. So you know. Yeah, it, it's it, the recommendations from friends are still the best things. I think they're still my favourite things. That's cool. Is there anything else you'd like to um, you'd like to cover? Or no, no. Um, as a final final whiffling on from me, I would very much appreciate it if you like the sound of my stuff to go to professorelemental.com or Patreon. <laughs> Actually, talking about infrastructures that do work, I find Patreons really good. So if you type in Professor Elemental Patreon, people, that's the thing where people give you a bit of money and then you give them loads of stuff in exchange on a monthly basis um, and the company gets to take a little bit. But actually, that works really well and has kept me sustained. So I recommend that to all artists. And I recommend you going to mine because I'll give you loads of free stuff. Thanks very much. I'm actually quite tempted. I'm really yeah, worried. Yeah, come on. Come and hang out with me. I'll give you a load of albums and tea towels with my face on and stuff. It'll be brilliant. 
if you've got a tea towel, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, anytime. That is that is very British, um, <laughs> isn't it? Thanks so much again for coming on. Oh, thanks ever uh, so much for having me. It's been really nice. I hope I didn't ramble on too much about infrastructure and politics. I got a bit carried away there. That was cool. That was cool. It's uh, it's it's what you make of it. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's quite. It was quite refreshing for me just for once to talk about things other than having an orangutan or flying to the moon. <laughs> Professor Elemental Paul, um, it's been a pleasure. Uh, have a lovely rest of the day down there in sunny Brighton. Ah, oh, thanks very much, yes. Um, and you have a lovely day in wonderful Germany. And if you could sort me out um, a German passport before Brexit hits, I will definitely give you a tea towel. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, no problem. We'll, um, thanks, buddy. I'll, Cheers. I'll have to speak to the Red Baron about that one. Yeah, thanks so much. Just have a, have a little word with you. Thank you so much. Take it easy, Paul. I'm oh, gonna... mate, thank you so much. That was really enjoyable. Thanks for chatting uh, with us. Uh, signing off from Germany for the Bibliophile Adventures podcast. Sayonara on the Nerdy Legion podcast network. Sayonara for now. Sayonara. Are you still there? Why can't I hear you anymore? It's gone quiet. We were having a nice chat. Is it because of my pith helmet? I wonder if you can hear me. I can't hear you anymore, but I will sing this merry song until you come back to me. <laughs> oh, you are back. Okay, hi. We um, we are recording today um, on a carousel, as I said. Sometimes we forget to put the money in. <laughs> it slows down and the recording device starts breaking. <laughs> yeah, it's quite right. Stop the propeller! The bubble engine. I've got to bloom so many. I've got trouble spending. My pantaloons are perfect for Poseidon. Beside me is Tom, alongside to dive in the jelly seas. Jellyfish and jelly whales, a secret cave. And a walrus with a merry tail. Propeller spin, ready, set it in motion. Settling in love around several oceans. There's an impossible octopus made of candy floss. The seabed's entirely sherbet. So hold your breath and don't get lost, or we might never arrive at the surface. My submersible is certainly splendid in lime green. Look, there's an angelfish made of ice cream. This is a fine dream, this is a great time. It's whimsy and widescreen, I'm glad that you made time. Word on the grapevine is you were feeling gloomy, but it's simply super to live a life that's loopy. Climb aboard. My lime green submarine is always roomy. Keep it rocking, the house is docking, keep it proper. We drop in and splish splosh, just like an otter. We lay around and lounge now when it gets hotter. We dive in and cool down, just like an otter, just like an otter, just like an otter, otter, just like an otter, just like an otter, otter, just like an otter, just like an otter, 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 Spring turned into summer. But otters know only day and night, the sun and the moon. And on their way they certainly were, to adventure after adventure. Isn't it nice out? Our second adventure begins after lights out. Leave it all behind when life is so dismal. The rope ladder is outside your window. The only sound is the rustle of the trees beneath your heartbeat as you leave the street. Breathe easy, we can 
see it all from up here. Climb into my basket, there's more to love. Here, take my hand. My blues are so colorful, eclipsing the moon. Isn't that wonderful? A flight of cartoon from the early 30s. The sky is personified, absurdly perky. The moon just winked, I think he's got a crush. Or maybe it's love. Let's pop out and rush. Stay on the cloud top, solid cotton be fluff. No need to find your way, you're just not lost enough. A ton of songs that's grim, gritty and glum. But me and Tom have got monopolies on having fun. Peace to your dad and word to your mum. We keep hip-hop out of grip, balls the dirty rotters. A cheeky wink and we're lovely, just like an otter. We tip, dive, slip, slide, slip, come on, you've got to. Bite life like a fish now, and you're an otter. Just like an otter, just like an otter, otter. Just like an otter, just like an otter, otter. Just like an otter, just like an otter, otter. Otter, 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 otter. All the underwater creatures got together. And, led by a very fine salmon and his lady wife, decided to encourage him to swim. 